Thank you for choosing the podcast of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. To discover more about Four Mile Creek or what it means to follow Jesus, you can visit us online at www.fourmilecreek.org. Here is this week's message. I actually know a thing or two about running races. Any runner will attest to what I'm about to say. There is a thing that I call the runner's wall. It might be called something else by people who do it far more than me. In fact, here's one. Is it called the runner's wall? Yes. It's called the runner's wall. See, I told you I know a thing or two. Essentially what the runner's wall is, and the way I get through it, is I just start hitting mailboxes and road signs as I'm passing by. But it's this point in time in the race in which you've hit a mental roadblock in which you say, I just can't possibly take another stride forward. And uh, every stride that you take just about seems impossible. The thing about the runner's wall is it is generally uh, not the end of your run. If you will push through it, you will get your second win and you will finish the race. And it is no mistake in my mind that Paul likens the Christian experience and the journey with Jesus to that of a race. When you journey with Jesus, you have to discipline yourself for it. You have to train for it. You have to train for godliness. Nobody falls into godliness by accident. Paul says that you should train yourself for godliness, 1 Timothy 4, 7. You have to adhere to a prescribed set of rules. You have to run within your lane. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 5, that if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to run in accordance with the rules laid out. You have to train yourself for godliness. And then you have to finish the race well. What good does it do to run the race if you don't finish the race? The last race I ran was the Big Beach uh, 7K. Uh, back in January of 2022, I had some medical issues uh, that prevented me from finishing the training for that. And so I said, well, I'm going to run it anyway. I got a half mile in and I thought I was going to die. And I was just going to turn around with my tail tucked between my legs and I was going to walk back to the finish line and let it be what it was going to be. And I said, you know what? I paid these people some money. If I got to walk this thing, I'm going to walk it. But I'm going to finish it. You have to finish well. I was determined to finish the race. Even if I couldn't finish it as a runner, I was going to at least put it in and walk that thing all the way. Again, I thought I was going to see Jesus before the end of it, but I didn't. But you have to finish well. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, that he had fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. But the thing about the race is it grows weary. It grows weary. Let me tell you something. Nobody told me when, when God got a hold of me that there were going to be times in following Jesus that I was just going to find it tiring. I was going to be weighed down for no particular reason. I was just going to be weighed down that at times I would want to throw in the towel that difficulties would come, that heartaches would come. Nobody told me that, and if they did tell me that, I don't remember them ever telling me that. I have learned that through experience and through diving deeper into the Word of God. Trials come, sufferings come. Jesus is the suffering servant. If he suffered, it stands to reason, therefore, that we're going to suffer. 
And you can suffer for a whole host of reasons. It might be self-inflicted. It might be other-inflicted. It might be that God has put you in a season of suffering and of difficulty. You may be in that season right now. You may be in a dark night of the soul. You wake up with it. You go to bed with it. You eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner with it. You get a shower with it. You get dressed with it. You drive to town with it. Everywhere you go, you're weighted. You may say, I am overcome with anxiety. I am depressed. I am worried all the time. Maybe there is a physical suffering at play. Maybe you have a uh, medical issue, whatever it may be, that every day just makes it more and more difficult to do whatever it is that is before you. Now, we're going to be in Psalm 42 today, and I hope to provide you some encouragement for when the journey becomes weary. And I would be remiss if I did not say that some of these points have been heavily influenced by a sermon that has so often spoken to me by Adrian Rogers. His sermon is entitled, uh, How to Get Up When You're Down. It's from the same passage. Now, I think, personally, in my opinion, I think he gives a much better treatment of this text than I have ever been able to do. And I've preached this text a handful of times along the same theme. And I, I hope and I pray that today it's an encouragement for you. Listen, you may be in here and you may say, well, I don't need this today. Things are, things are pretty okay. Well, buttercup, buckle up. It's often been quipped that if you're not in a storm now, you better get ready because one's coming. Amen. People are either going into a storm, in the middle of it, or coming out of it. And Andrew Voss, who's a former pastor of mine, once quipped that the biggest storm in life you'll ever face is the one you're going through right now. So if you're in a season of depression, if you're in a season of anxiety, if you're in a season where the journey has just become weary, and you say, I don't know how I can keep going. I don't know how I can keep putting one foot in front of the other. Lord, is there ever going to be reprieve for my heart, my mind, my soul, and my body? What's your hope? In Psalm 42, which it would help if I turned there instead of being in 1 Samuel. In Psalm 42, and we're going to read all of it. The psalmist writes these words, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have become my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, Where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Your translation may say, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed, and therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roars of your waterfalls. 
All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go out in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones. While all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God. For I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that you are God and we are not. That you are holy. And that it is only by the shed blood of Jesus that we can become holy. God, you're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. We are not those things. Lord, we're finite. You're infinite. And Lord, we recognize that life, for whatever cause it may be because of our actions because the actions of others or simply because you've chosen to lead us into a season of darkness lord that that it can become weighty and it become uh, burdensome at times or it can feel that way and so lord i pray that you would speak to the depths of our hearts and our minds that you would grant us the encouragement we need to move forward in your grace and in your strength Lord, if there's anyone in here who identifies with the psalmist that says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Lord, when can I come before you? God, I pray that this would be a time of encouragement for them, of a reminder of your hope and of your goodness. Lord, may the meditation of our hearts and the words of our mouths be pleasing to you. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. and pray all these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. You're in a season of darkness. You can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. What's the first thing you do? You need to remember your God. You need to remember your God. Listen to the beginning words of this psalm. He says, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before him? And then he says that, The tail end of verse 5, he says, but I will still hope in God. Now, you know there's no darkness so dark God can't see through it. There is no darkness so dark God cannot see through it. God knows where you're at. For whatever reason you're there, he knows where you're at and why you're there. You need to remember your God. Affliction and suffering has a very convoluted way of becoming miniature gods in our lives. What happens is this. It becomes so familiar, so tangible, so almost personified as a person that it's always there. And we begin to think that our suffering and our heartache and our pain and our sorrow, that those things are more powerful than God when they're not. We say, God, these things are oppressive. God, these things are weighing us down. God, they are always with me. Where are you at? Have you forgotten me? And God hasn't forgotten you. The psalmist says, I long for God. I am remembering God. In fact, he even says, I'm remembering how I have served God before. 
He says, I'm going to hope in God. I'm going to choose to have a confident and favorable expectation of a future reality. That these sufferings and these afflictions and these heartaches and these sorrows do not have the final word. I was listening to a preacher preach this past week. And he said, Jesus did not save us so that we could live a life weighted down by anxiety and fear and discouragement and everything else. Jesus lived, he died, and he was resurrected to set us free from those things. That does not mean that we will be free from that at every moment in our life. The reality is we still wrestle with those things. We still struggle with those things. We still face discouragement. We still face sorrow. We still face seasons of depression and of anxiety and of darkness, of the dark night of the soul. We still face those things, but God is more powerful in that. He has not forgotten where you're at. Isaiah says that he has inscribed you upon the palm of his hand. That while others may forget People, while nursing mothers may forget their young, he will never forget you. Have you allowed your afflictions to assume a godlike role in your life? If we're transparent with one another, we know that we can often do that. We let those things dictate our view of God and our image of God. We let them dictate how we interact with God. We let them dictate how we interact with God's people. And we say, I just can't do it. Can I tell you something? God will sustain you in the midst of all of that. There have been times I've gotten up and I've said, Lord, today is the day you've made. You're God. I'm not. I need your strength. Here it is. Lord, you're faithful. You will always do what you have said. And fulfill what you've promised. So God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this. Remember your God. When the weights of this world draw you away from your God, turn your heart's attention, your heart's affection, and your mind's attention back to God. Remember your God. Say as the psalmist did, yet I will still hope him, hope in him. David says in Psalm 40, verse 5, he says, Lord, my God, you have done many things. Your wondrous works and your plans for us, none can compare. Remember what God's done in your life. Not only remember what he's done, but remember who he is. Remember your God. Remember that he's holy. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 16, be holy for I am holy. Let me tell you, God is totally separate from us. God has never been tainted by sin. God knows the effects of sin better than we do, it cost him his very life to redeem us. He's holy and he calls us to be holy. Remember that he's holy. Remember that you're able to go to him and you're able to trust in him. Remember that he's gracious. We're going to talk more about uh, what can cause a season of darkness, but remember that he's gracious, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, Psalm 103.8. Remember that he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing. Yes, God is mighty, Job says, but he despises no one. He understands all things, Job 36, 5. Remember that God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Your afflictions are not more powerful than God. Stop treating them like they are. He is enthroned above all things. Psalm 113, 4 through 6, the Lord is exalted above all, above all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? God is enthroned. He is in heaven. We are not. He does as he pleases. 
Trust God. Remember that he is in control of all things. Remember that he is forgiving. He forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Psalm 103, 3. Remember your God. Remember him. Put your mind's attention and your heart's affection on him. Set everything that you are upon him and his word and his character. Remember your God, but you need to examine your heart. The psalmist, the psalmist in, in his hurt and, and in his pain, he essentially picks up his soul. And he says, why are you so dejected? Why are you depressed? Why are you weighted down? Why are you in turmoil? Why are you the way that you are? You ever ask that question to yourself? Why am I the way that I am? Why do I feel this way? Why, why do I say these things? Why do I do these things? Turn inward. Examine your heart in that dark night of the soul. You might be there through your own actions. You, you can get in a season of darkness because of sin. You may be living under sin's consequences. You may have yet to confess your sin to the Lord. Psalm 32, 3 through 4, David writes, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle for my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained in the summer seat. Listen, if you're in the season of darkness that you're in, if you, are, if you have become weary on the disciples' journey because of some sin that you have committed, confess it to the Lord, repent of it, Make restitution if you need to, and if you can, then get up and move on with your life. God says you're forgiven. And if God has forgiven and forgotten it, why do you keep bringing it up? Amen. If it's sin that has caused you to be in the dark night of the soul, confess it, repent of it, make restitution if you can and have to, and then move on. Now that does not mean that you will automatically be out from under that darkness. You may still have to walk through some more, but let me tell you something. And David points this out in Psalm 25. He says, Lord, look at my afflictions, but as for my sin, forgive them. Kayla and I were reading out of Charles Spurgeon last week, and he dealt with that verse in Psalm 25. And he says, he says, we can bear up under the affliction and of the sorrow. We can do that, but we cannot bear up under the weight of sin. Confess your sin, repent of it, and let God sustain you in the sorrow and in the suffering. Because God will do that. God will sustain you in your sorrow. He will sustain you in the darkest of nights. And let me just tell you something. Because we're over here and we're, we're referencing the dark night of the soul. There are times that the dark night of the soul becomes almost tangible to us. You ever laid in your bed at night unable to sleep? And you're weighted down by everything. Can I just tell you that the reason you can go to sleep at night is because he neither slumbers nor sleeps. Psalm 121. When you're laying in your bed weighted down by the dark night of the soul, give it unto the Lord. And say, God, you don't slumber or sleep. I can go to sleep because you're still in control. God, I'm going to trust you. Are you there because of self-inflicted sin or are you there because of others you know other people can sin against you and send you into a dark night of the soul uh, other people might harm you in some way 
They, they might do something evil against you. David says in Psalm 41, Even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. Others might sin against you. Others might cause you harm. Others might betray you. You might be in here, or you might be listening. You might say, well, you know, I was engaged and that ended. Uh, maybe you had a boyfriend or girlfriend who has broken your heart. Maybe your parents have disowned you. Maybe your child has disappointed you, and you are in a season of, 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 of weightiness and of darkness, and you say, God, I'm not here because of anything I've done. I've looked inward, and I've, I've discovered it's not because of my actions, God, but it's because of others, and Lord, I'm weighted, and so God, here it is. It might mean that you need to honestly grieve that before the Lord. Well, I'm, I'm just a little embarrassed to tell the Lord about what I need to grieve. Psalm 139, 2 says he perceives your thoughts from afar. What are you going to tell God he doesn't already know? Tell me. What are you going to tell God he doesn't already know? Amen. And listen, you can be as honest with God as you need to be. I've been listening to Crossway's daily devotion for men the past few days. And guys, if, if, you're, if you've got podcasts on your smartphone, which you do, uh, check out Daily Devotions for Men, Crossway. Phenomenal. One of the things they talked about this past week is that Job was very honest with God. He showed his ignorance a little bit too because he started accusing God of things. He had no idea uh, what he was talking about. And God let him do it. God didn't strike Job dead. God let Job through a temper tantrum. And when he was done, God said, all right, so let me tell you how the cow eats the cabbage. There's a new metaphor for you. You can be honest with God. He's not going to reject you or, or disown you. Your emotions and your feelings will never shock or offend God. Be honest with God if it's uh, hurt caused by others. It may be God-inflicted. Some of the best learning you will ever do is when God sends you into a dark night of the soul. Some of the best learning you'll ever do. When have you grown the most in your walk with Jesus? When everything was hunky-dory? Or when things looked to be less than favorable? Job says, even if he kills me, I will still hope in him. God might place you in a season, not because of anything you've done or have failed to do, but simply to teach you. I think of the disciples when Jesus said, get in the boat and go to the other side, and I'll meet you there. And Jesus walks on the water, and he intended to pass them by, and they're in a storm, and it's messy and everything else. They're not there because of sin. They're there because that's where Jesus told them to be. You can be in a season of darkness, not because you've sinned or because someone else has sinned against you, simply because, or, or because of those things, but simply because God has put you into that season. That's why you need to remember your God. You need to ask the Lord, what would you have me to learn in this? God's not going to waste your pain regardless of how it came up. That's why David says in Psalm 51, he says, Lord, if you will restore to me the joy of your salvation, then I will teach sinners your ways. David was not willing to let his sin uh, become useless. The lessons from that sin, that is. He says, God, if you will restore me, if you will forgive me, if you will give me the joy of your salvation again, then Lord, as a result of this, I will tell sinners your ways. I will teach them your ways. 
I imagine that David lived the rest of his life with a keen awareness of God's mercy, grace, and love. God's not going to waste your pain. Don't you waste it. Remember your God. Examine your heart. See why you're in that season. And whatever the reason is, trust Him. God has given you the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to walk with Him, even in the dark nights, even in the difficulty. But you also need to lean in to God with praise. You need to lean in to God with praise. So you've remembered your God, you've examined your heart, now it's time to lean into Him. It's it's time to put all your weight on Him. It's time to do that with praise. Psalm 42, second half of verse 5 says, Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him. Praise God. Praise Him because He's worthy. Praise Him because that's what He deserves. He deserves to be praised. Well, my situations and circumstances are heavy on me. I can't possibly do that. And your point? Praise God. Lean into Him with praise. Actively choose to praise Him. If your heartache and pain was going to kill you, it would have already done so. And it hasn't. So praise God. Why has it not killed you yet? Because it's not stronger than God. Lean into him with praise. You don't feel like praising him? Praise anyway. You feel like a hypocrite? Praise anyway. I don't feel like it. Since when have your feelings become God? Your feelings will lie to you. Don't let it become your God. Lean into him with praise. The psalmist says, my soul, why are you dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him. It may be a battle for praise, but it's worth the fight. It's worth the struggle. It's always worth it, because God is worth it. I would hate... For you, dear friend, to waste your pain and suffering. God would hate for you to waste it too. Listen, the sufferings of this world, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. The sufferings of this world are but a light momentary affliction. They, They won't last forever. You know why? Because they're not God. They're not eternal. They're temporary. Which, by the way, didn't plan on saying this, but here we go. That's why suicide is never an option. In the words of Dr. Mike Edens, one of my professors at the seminary, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It's never an option because the sufferings of this age are but momentary. They are here today, they're gone tomorrow. Well, uh, yesterday was yesterday and today's today and the problem's still here. One day in Christ, everything will be okay. That may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be 50 years from now. It may be after you draw your last. But one day, everything in Christ will be okay. Lean into God with praise. He's worthy of praise, even when you don't know up from down. Lean into Him with praise. Choose to praise Him. But you also need to remember the kingdom to come. I got a call in March of 2020 to officiate a funeral for a stillborn baby 
Uh, this child was the first child of this couple who I had officiated at their wedding. And uh, they gave me a call. Uh, they, they had, uh, the, the, the young lady had her dad call me and asked me to come do this funeral. I said, yes. And I'm torn over what to say. What, what can you say to a group of people who are mourning what was supposed to be a new and vibrant life that was stillborn? And so I went and I spoke to my pastor at the time, and he and I are talking about these things. And, and essentially, he said, you remind them that better days are ahead. That's what you tell them. I said, okay. And I went and I thought and I prayed and looked through Scripture and Psalm, uh, Revelation 21.5 came up. And in Revelation 21.5, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Your afflictions last but for a moment. They are not stronger than God. They do not have their own kingdom. They do not, they do not save people. But Jesus does. Amen. Jesus has promised that he will make all things new. And not only will he make all things new, he is making all things new. Right now and in this moment, he is making your heart, your mind, your soul, and your body new. Well, pastor, that's funny because every day I get out of bed, author just seems to be winning more and more ground. Or pastor, you don't know my health issues. Every time I turn around, there's a new development and it. it's getting worse and worse. Listen, you will be made new in its entirety. Oftentimes when we read Revelation 21, 5, we think of the fact that he's making a new heaven and a new earth. But you know what? We've got to live somewhere. And we're part of that. When John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, he doesn't mean that this ball of, of cosmic gas with uh, life on it. Though I'm sure he likes it too because he created it. But you and I are part of the world. He has loved us with an everlasting love. So when he says, for God so loves the world, put your name in where world's at. God so loved Craig Todd that he gave his one and only son so that when Craig would trust in Jesus, he would have eternal life and he would not perish. Jesus is making all things new. Yes, he's making a new heaven and a new earth, but he's making you new too. You are new right now and you will see the fullness of that newness one day in Christ. Yes, remember your God. Examine your heart. See, see why you're there. Lean into God with praise. But in the midst of it, you've got to remember that better days are ahead. You've got to remember the kingdom that is to come. Because I'm going to tell you, if your hope is in the stock market, if it's in your job, if it's in your health, if it's in the bank account that you have, if it's in your car, if it's in your fishing boat, whatever the case is, those things are here today and they're going tomorrow. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Everything can change just like that. Yeah. You can be perfectly healthy right now and you can die in a second. This is not all there is. You need to remember there is a kingdom to come. You need to remember that because it will reorient your perspective. Paul says, and I've referenced it multiple times, but the full two verses, 
2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18, for our momentary light afflictions is producing for us, listen to what he says, our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. You're not going to be able to even comprehend what your momentary affliction is producing within your heart and mind right now and what you're going to see when you get to heaven. So, Paul says in verse 18, we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If you're only worried about the here and now, if you're worried about earthly pleasures and treasures, you will miss eternal pleasures and treasures. Amen. This world is passing away. Your afflictions are passing away. Brother Craig, I, might, I feel like I might pass before they do. They're still but for a moment. God will sustain you in your suffering. Write that down. God will sustain you in your suffering. When the journey becomes weary, when you say, I can't take another stride, I can't possibly take another change in my life circumstances, God will give you the grace and the strength that you need to bear up under that. Amen. He will sustain you in your suffering for his glory. Revelation 21, 3 through 4 says, Look, or behold, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. All of this, one day, will be for naught. So what? We've got a building. So what? We've got an office or a home. So what if we make six figures? It's all going to pass away. And when it does, or when you do, if you go first... Lord Terry's you're going to be with Jesus there won't be pain there won't be suffering there won't be regret or shame there won't be days that you wake up and you say God I can't take another step there won't Jesus will be on his throne and people will be around and they will be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Every tongue, every tribe, even those who have rejected his lordship will bow their knee and they will say with one voice, Jesus Christ is Lord. We will be with him if we have trusted him in this life. We will be his people. And he will be our God. The journey will no longer feel weary. 
because we'll be perfected. If you're in here and the journey's weary for whatever reason, whatever reason, God says to you to lean into him with praise and trust, and that might mean that today you need to lean into him for the very first time as your Lord and as your God. You may need to say to him, Jesus, you are Lord, I am not. You are perfect, I am not. You are eternal, I am not. And God, I need salvation because I am separated from you because of my sin and disobedience. And the Bible says that when you confess Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But you need Jesus because your sin has separated you from him. And the effects of sin are all around us. Whether that's depression and anxiety, whether that's worry or medical issues, whether that's arthritis, since I mentioned that earlier, whether that's a broken bone, thorns in the grass are a result of the pervasive effects of sin. There will be no thorns in heaven. So I hope I get to garden. I hope that's my job. I do because it's fun. Jesus says to you, come and surrender your heart and your mind to him. And Christian, if that darkness won't lift, if you're in that season of, of, of heartache and of depression for whatever reason, God says, come. God says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you and he loves you and he will sustain you. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And there is no more humbling act than to say to God, I can't, but you can. God, I'm overwhelmed, but nothing overwhelms you. As our praise team comes, will you stand and pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And God, we pray that you would remind us in a very deep and personal way that you, you are eternal, that you are totally perfect, totally holy. God, you are everything that you say you are and so much more that we can't even fathom. And God, I pray for those in here. God, if there's anybody in here who has weighted down for whatever reason, Lord, I pray you would remind them of your goodness and of your grace. Lord, that if they're weighted down and they don't know you, Lord, that you would draw them unto yourself, that you would save their soul and transform them. Lord, if they're in here and they do know you and they've been saved and they've been transformed, Lord, I, I pray, God, you would lighten, lighten their load. God, that you would help them bear up under it as you have promised. God, that you would help each of us in this room to be an instrument of you to help lighten that load. Lord, we do this in community, Lord. We, we, we follow Jesus not, as, uh, not only as, as individuals, Lord, but we do this in community, encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And so, God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts today. Help us to focus our mind's attention and our heart's affection upon you trusting that you are God and we are not, trusting that one day we won't have to look at 
ourselves and say, why are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still choose to praise him. Lord, our, our faith will become sight. And that will be perfected. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you and pray all these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake.